This episode of Safe Space Radio is brought to you by the Pink House Foundation and listeners like you. From WMPG, this is Safe Space Radio, a show about the subjects we would struggle with less if we could talk about them more. I'm Ann Hallward, a psychiatrist in Portland, Maine, and today we continue our series on PTSD among women who have served in the military. Today's show will focus on military sexual trauma, often referred to as MST, which includes sexual assault or protracted sexual harassment while serving on active duty or in training on active duty. In 2013, of those returning veterans who sought health care from Veterans Affairs, over 77,000 women screened positive for military sexual trauma and over 57,000 men. Sexual trauma, especially when it's not acknowledged or believed, can lead to PTSD, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, and even suicide. My guest today is Kathy Russin, who is the coordinator of the Military Sexual Trauma Program of the VA in Maine and a clinical social worker in the Women's Primary Care Clinic. She has a background in trauma and substance abuse and complex trauma and is also a certified yoga instructor. Welcome to Safe Space Radio, Kathy. Thank you, Anne. It's an honor to be here. So I understand you are a veteran yourself, and I'd love to start by hearing a little bit of your story. When did you go into the service, and what was it like for women at that time? In the community that I grew up in and in that era, uh, the armed services were really the best option for equal pay for equal work. And I think like a lot of young women who were attracted to the armed services, I um, you know, had a taste for adventure and change. And so I joined the Navy. It's wonderful to actually think about the military as a kind of feminist place to have equal pay. I mean, it did such, I think my association has been so shaped by some of the reports about MST, military sexual trauma. In some ways, I see the military as kind of a dangerous place for women. So it's, it's so helpful to be reminded that it can be a place of real empowerment promotions, for the most part, were standardized and based on standardized testing and performance evaluations. And of course, the system couldn't be uh, perfect. But again, in 1970, uh, in the late 1970s, it was looking a lot better than any of the other options available to many young women. So kind of jumping ahead then to, right. to the world now where I think our consciousness about military sexual trauma has really been raised. And um, what I understand is that currently all veterans who choose to seek health care at the VA, and I gather that's not all veterans by any means, but for those who do, that there is now mandatory screening that everyone is asked in an attempt to really understand the scope of the problem. So I wonder if you if we could start by kind of sketching out the kinds of sexual trauma we're really even talking about. I'm glad you're asking. Sexual assault is part, but not all of the definition of military sexual trauma, and this can be confusing uh, for folks in the Department of Defense, for instance, rape is a criminal act, and sexual harassment is handled as a human resources or equal opportunity problem. Uh, in the world of the VA, where we are helping people adjust to civilian life and uh, address emotional or medical problems, um, we recognize that sexual harassment of certain types can be just as damaging 
as sexual assault, which involves you know, physical contact. So I hear stories and have heard stories about what I think of as a systematic sexual humiliation or degradation that people in the armed services experience in different settings, uh, sometimes in training. Uh, certain practices are part of initiation rights. This has been exposed and quite an issue at the uh, academies, but it's also a widespread problem in uh, many boot camp training settings. And what, can you give me an example of what you're talking about? Well, uh, initiation rights are an old tradition uh, in the armed services and uh, frequently involve more senior, more powerful individuals, you know, forcing junior, less powerful individuals to do things that are uncomfortable. Uh, sometimes those practices become sexualized and out of control. And uh, for instance, I've heard stories of people um, being put into positions where they were pretending to perform sexual acts on another person against their will. There may not have been physical contact, but it was a, a pretty humiliating or de degrading experience that would have been witnessed by a lot of their peers. I see. So uh, what we know about humiliation is the, the definition I like is to be treated like dirt in front of other people. Yes. And that's what you're describing. Exactly. I've also heard of instances, uh, particularly during the period of time when training became co-ed and women were um, submitted to uh, uh, exposure, being forced to, again, this is going back into the 1980s, 1990s, I don't I have a, uh, hear this more recently, cases where women would have been asked to perform the physical workouts in their skivvies, and male drill instructors would invite their buddies in to, um, you know, witness this kind of uh, vulnerable exposure or women being in training settings where the doors were removed from showers and bathrooms. So male instructors and the other men who were in the training were able to access you know, those facilities while women were um, using them. So this is the sort of treatment in a setting that can be really psychologically damaging even though no one has laid a hand on anyone. I mean, I can imagine if I try to picture myself as a yeah, as a new recruit, you know, trying to fit in and trying to belong and trying to prove how tough I was. Right. And so the pressure to not complain would be great. Right. Complaining would have really singled someone out to not be fitting in well. So there's an enormous pressure to not speak up, to just go along with things and... This might be a, a place to include the truth that uh, sexual harassment and sexual assault is also a widespread problem, far more widespread than we'd like problem for male service members, too. And that the harassment can also be incredibly uh, damaging. I can imagine almost even, I don't know, it's never good to make comparisons, but the taboo for men and the silence around it might even be more dense and for women. There are some theories, and I believe it to be true, that um, disclosing military sexual trauma and, enter and seeking um, help is more difficult for men. Um, being uh, the victim, unfortunately, is more normed for women in our society. It's horrifying to say that, but right. And uh, in fact, at the VA, uh, men who've reported MST seek treatment, only about half 
the time that women do. I see. So they screen positive for it. But then when they get that follow-up question, do you want any care, they say no. Right. What would you say are the, are the factors now that make it hard for someone to want to answer affirmatively if that has been their experience? There's so much about military culture that demeans being a victim that the emphasis in the culture is about being strong and surviving. And so uh, from the get-go in uh, coming to a healthcare provider, here is this question about have you been victimized? And I think uh, that is um, a barrier that some people very understandably aren't able to move through. There's also, I think, a natural protective self protection that some people have where they won't even recognize to themselves that um, a sexually a sexual violation really occurred if drinking was involved. Uh, people may tend to blame themselves uh, and so not see it as worthy of reporting and that can be very very unfortunate too that becomes a complicating factor well i would say it's a hallmark of trauma is, is self-blame i mean right the, the blame the victim mm -hmm. culture is not only external but internal to, mm -hmm. to, to each of us so one thing that really sobered me in trying again to understand what the experience of sexual trauma within the military is like and what the impact of that is on an individual that I learned from the, the testimony of someone um, from 2014 um, before the Senate Armed Services Committee. And what she described is that being sexually assaulted in the military is not like civilian rape. She likened it more to incest. And what she said is, in the military, just like a child at home, your commanding officer is like a parent. You depend on them for your clothing, your food, your orders, your what you do during the day. And there's this inherent trust. You're basically putting your life in their hands and you work together as a team. And that there's a degree of betrayal from someone who is an authority figure who you depend on and trust that is very different than, say, rape by, uh, you know, an acquaintance or something like that. It is very similar to the violations that people experience in family incest. One of the strongest values in military culture is unit cohesion. So it isn't only reliance on the command structure for safety and support, but the, uh, the network of buddies that are there for you, people who you would die for and who would die for you. So even when a sexual assault uh, occurs between peers, there's such destruction to that cohesive network. A person is literally ripped from safety. Uh, it can uh, leave long-term marks on how people see themselves in any setting. I frequently point out to folks that for folks who've experienced MST, even coming to the VA for health care, isn't going to be the same sort of uh, positive experience that, say, a veteran who may have combat PTSD or other kind of complications related to their service. Uh, but if you were 
attacked and harmed in that kind of setting. You walk into a building that looks like the one you used to go to work in and you're surrounded by people who, you know, have the same jargon and bearing that those people did. And uh, it's very, very difficult. Do you do you wonder if some of the people who don't use the VA for their health care are more likely to have MST because of that? I do wonder that. Also, we know that uh, sexual assaults in military culture frequently occur when people are at their most powerless, and that would include early in training. In the aftermath of a sexual assault, uh, many people find they can't cope uh, with adapting to military life and end up leaving the service prematurely. What that means is that someone may not achieve official veteran status. So I understand that for some women who and men who get, say, raped in boot camp or very early in their first assignment and then leave, especially if their report of the assault was not believed, that it becomes very hard to establish that there was a service-connected injury and therefore very hard to establish getting treatment or benefits and so on. Is that still... A problem? It's less of a problem today as the VA recognizes that in trauma aftermath, a soldier, a sailor, an airman is not going to be able to focus on their job and their performance and adapting to military culture. And so there are certain behaviors that mark early trauma aftermath that the VA will recognize. And so it's easier for veterans to have that trauma recognized and service-connected. What are some of those behaviors you're describing? Well, people will start engaging in uh, problematic substance abuse, uh, depression. People will, you know, become either defiant or shut down or have problems with concentration or or focus, and their job performance will suffer, and they're likely to be identified as not a good fit for military life. So let's say a young woman is really enthused about uh, being in the service, and she leaves boot camp. She finds herself in a situation with a peer, and she is raped, and she works in a small unit. So she doesn't disclose the assault, but people find out about it. And there are all sorts of really negative consequences. She's ostracized. People gossip about her. Uh, her job performance begins to deteriorate. She withdraws. She doesn't connect well with her peers. She can have an expedited uh, discharge. It may be an honorable discharge for administrative purposes or maybe uh, a mental health condition. Uh, and um, she's gone. She's done. And um, those are the, the, the population of often the most vulnerable uh, people. What I understand is that women are, if they are discharged after an assault, are often given a diagnosis of a personality disorder, something that sort of damns them effectively, blames them as being a problem. How common is it now for women to be discharged with these so-called personality disorders after they've been assaulted? I think it occurs less since there's uh, than it has in the past. What I like to point out to people, because personality disorders are a very real 
very painful mental health condition for people to live with. And two things can be true at the same time. People with personality disorders and substance abuse problems frequently get raped. We also know that young people who may, uh, because they're not fully adult yet, uh, have a pattern of maybe not great decision-making. Predators are really good at spotting those young people. And so I don't see those conditions as discounting the reality of rape, but actually placing young people at greater risk. I mean, what we know about rapists is that they tend to be repeat offenders, and they do tend to be skillful at selecting who is vulnerable to being silenced with threats and so on. And we also know that sexual violence is not about sex. It's about power, punishment, retaliation, and that uh, in some military cultures, uh, people are identified as not being a good fit. And in male-dominated cultures, um, sexual violence can be used to identify people who um, aren't wanted in the service and uh, who aren't going to make it. And so they're called out early in training. It's sort of a ingrained cultural dynamic that occurs in groups. One of the things that is really troubling is we know that not to go down a tangent, that male sexual assault frequently involves a greater number of perpetrators and results in greater physical injuries. I'm not suggesting that women don't also uh, experience violent uh, sexual assault with multiple perpetrators, but there's a greater likelihood in military culture that that will occur to men. I've heard many uh, stories of uh, assaults which occurred during boot camp uh, where there were um, uh, gang rapes by male peers. Uh, sometimes the assault wasn't a completed rape that included penetration, but sort of a, a gang um, uh, imitation rape. Again, that systematic sexual degradation. And um, It's hard to imagine how a person, male or female, would recover from that and remain part of that unit. Exactly. It's, it's really kind of inconceivable. It is inconceivable. And then once they're cut adrift, even going on in life and establishing relationships in any other sort of cohesive environment, whether it's a family or, or a community, for many individuals, it uh, becomes nearly impossible uh, without some form of treatment or recovery. Right, because how do you begin to trust again? Right. How do you belong in a group and not feel like a target and profoundly vulnerable? Especially because our sexuality, uh, our bodies, uh, this is where we live <laughs> in our most intimate way, inside ourselves. And to lose the ability to control and to protect ourselves in that way, I think, is a unique trauma. One of the things I often uh, talk about at the VA is that military sexual trauma, PTSD, is not PTSD plus. It doesn't look like combat-related PTSD. How does it look different? Uh, one of the things I, I think is that there's often a greater overlay of depression. 
and more complications with uh, behaviors and issues that have to do with shame. All forms of PTSD make it difficult for people to get on with their lives and form relationships, and it leaves people vulnerable to substance abuse. But with MST experiences, it's like those problems just play a larger role. I've known quite a number of people with MST where their PTSD could not even be the target of treatment until they were able to kind of, you know, break through some of these other behaviors and uh, symptoms in order to get ready to have treatment for their PTSD. That makes so much sense to me. We think of trauma as a as an anxiety disorder, just classified right. that way. But I think of it actually as a shame-based disorder. And when you talk about sexual trauma, you begin to talk about something that's very hard to even give words to because it's associated with things that sound disgusting or degrading. And even those parts of our bodies that we don't name and talk about in, in public company. And so anything that's associated with shame is silenced and hidden and that contributes to so much difficulty. So it's it's so it's so powerful to hear you talk about this distinction between PTSD and MST. A person with combat PTSD is likely to numb and be emotionally dysregulated and cut off from people who are close to them and important in their lives. Um, often with military sexual trauma, people won't get to the point of even being able to establish that level of intimacy. And, uh, you know, especially if the sexual trauma occurred earlier in their development, late adolescence, early adulthood. Right, because trust has been so profoundly violated. So the cost for that person for so long is so enormous. I also wonder, it's my sense, that if one truly sees themselves as bad, worthless, and deserving of this horrible thing um, that was committed not by an other enemy, but by someone who looked like them, was wearing the same uniform as them, uh, then later going out into relationships and groups of peers or with one's family. It's just very difficult to negotiate that. And combat PTSD does often involve shame for people. And yet there is usually also a degree of honor in having served one's country that balances that out. So while a soldier may have shame because they perceive they weren't brave enough in their response to a traumatic event, there's still in the aftermath a sense of, you know, I served my country and I went out there with my buddies and I did my best. But after a sexual assault or a sexual degradation, there's none of that. What are some of the things that you're doing in the VA to try to affect this culture that minimizes the impact of sexual trauma that still treats it as if it was shameful? How, how do you begin trying to shift a whole a culture? It's been an incredible few years. When I um, became the military sexual trauma coordinator in 2009, one of my concerns was that I was moving into a sort of shadow area and that my uh, career at the visible level would be ending. 
So even because there, even in for 2009, you. you know, it was it was um, you know part of my passion, uh, important to me at so many levels, and um, I like to 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 say, hoping that people will understand where where I'm coming from. I have the best job at the VA. Uh, you feel I, that now? I love what I do. Absolutely. What do you love about it? Oh, I I get to see and witness healing, and. Even when people have been so broken down by their experiences, uh, people still get in touch with that place of resilience and incredible courage. I have almost every day an experience of awe at what it takes for people to come into treatment and to show up and to keep showing up. But in 2009, that was happening, of course, but it was happening in sort of, you know, one small area of the VA. Since 2009, there has been this explosion of public awareness, both outside the VA and the Department of Defense, I mean, really through our whole culture. So we've been riding that wave. And I think the VA has, not perfectly, of course, but really put its shoulder into responding to that. Uh, It seems that some of the changes in the laws and some of the treatment protocols are coming out every few months. I just came back from a week-long women's mental health treatment summit that was nationwide, that was about presenting to providers throughout the country some of the new uh, treatment approaches that we can use with um, female veterans. What do you think are the most important things for civilians who may have no concept of military life or veterans' life. What do we need to know to be a good community for these folks when they come home? I believe people need a welcome that respects their boundaries and either willingness or lack of willingness to talk about the details of what they've been through. Um, Recognizing, too, that we're not defined by the very worst thing that's ever happened to us. One of the things that is very exciting for me to see with the clients that I work with is the point at which they have been able to get back in touch with some of the uh, uh, wonderful things that may have occurred to them in the service and some pride about that and that yeah it may not have gone well and yeah this horrible thing happened to me and so I left the service but you know I showed up I showed up and I put on the uniform and one of the things that is so terrible about MST is that it can tend to cover up all of the other things that people have done in the service, all of their other successes and bravery sort of gets washed away because of a sexual assault or their status as MST, but uh, that need not be the case. So I think that a community recognition that their service still matters, that if we show up and we don't make it, all the way to the end of the race, it's still a remarkable thing to to show up. And Kathy Russin, thank <laughs> you so much for coming here, for the work that you do, for talking about this openly. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Anne. It's really been an honor, and I appreciate the work that you're doing and your interest in this uh, because, 
again, we know there are people out there that can benefit more if they know more about what we would like to do at the VA. So we always like to close with resources. Yes. um, How can someone find out about the options that are available to them? I'm so glad you asked. We have a, a national program. Anyone who calls a VA at any location here in Maine and says the words military sexual trauma, MST, rape, will be put directly through to my confidential voicemail. What is that number for the VA here in Maine? It's uh, area code 207-623-8411. So 623-8411, and all they have to do is mention military sexual trauma, what we're referring to as MST, and the operator knows to shunt them straight over to you. Yes, People can actually reach me without having to go through multiple levels of phone operators talking about things that were difficult to talk about. Wonderful. Thank you again, Kathy. If you like the show and want to stay connected to these issues, please go to our website at safespaceradio.com, where you can listen to all the shows in this series and also earlier series that we did about trauma. While you're there, please leave us a comment. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also subscribe to our email list to find out about each week's new show as soon as it's released. My thanks to Gabe Graben for producing the show and to Jim Russell for being our editorial advisor.